What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Law enforcement in this country kills approximately 1,200 people every single year, and yet the names of many are never said or known except to their families and friends. What's more, law enforcement agencies and other state actors harm our community in a myriad of ways that also go unnoticed, like racial profiling, sexually assaulting, and wrongfully incarcerating our people. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So every week on Law & Disorder, we are going to do a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of November 28th, 2022. Five Connecticut police officers were charged on Monday with misdemeanors in a case in which a black man who was being transported in the back of a police van became paralyzed when the driver hit the brakes hard, shattering the man's spine. The man, Richard Cox, 36, known as Randy, was being taken to a police station in New Haven on June 19th in a van that was not equipped with seat belts. He smashed headfirst into the van's inside wall and the incident was captured on video. The officers appeared to treat him callously following his injuries, mocking his inability to sit up police video and audio released by lawyers for his family show. I am wondering why the story says appeared when it says the bad acting cops were caught on tape. Oh, mainstream media. The case is strikingly similar to that of Freddie Gray, a 25-year-old Baltimore man who died in 2015 after police officers drove him unrestrained in the back of a similar transport vehicle. That would be, y'all, because these kinds of incidents happen every day in America. We only just hear about a few. This is the rule, not the exception. In Mr. Cox's case, police officers who attended attended to the injured man admonished him to get up and said he was drunk, according to police records. In a conversation captured on a recording, Randy told the officers he could not feel anything or move and said, quote, if you've got to drag me, do what you've got to do end quote. The officers dragged him from the van by his feet. My God. On Monday, the five New Haven officers involved Oscar Diaz, Ronald Presley, Jocelyn Lavendier, Luis Rivera, and Sergeant Betsy Segway, who faced reckless endangerment and cruelty charges, turned themselves in at the Connecticut State Police Barracks. They were each released on $25,000 bond with a court date set for December 8th. Source, Sarah Maslinier, the New York Times. Some of you may remember we covered this story when it broke on Upfront. A trial began Monday for an ex-warden who allegedly abused women for years at his California prison, an institution referred to by staffers and inmates as the Rape Club. Prosecutors claimed during their opening statements that Ray J. Garcia promised to move inmates at his federal female prison to lower security facilities before engaging in sexual interactions with them. The charges against Garcia, 55, stem from allegations involving three prisoners at the Federal Correctional Institution in Dublin, California. Between December 2019 and July 2021, Garcia has pleaded not guilty. Up to six women could take the witness stand during the federal trial in Oakland to detail accusations against Garcia, who is one of five FCI employees charged with abusing prisoners. Garcia is the first to stand trial in connection with the scandal. Three other employees pled guilty to abuse charges, while the trial for the fourth is due to begin next year. Garcia retired last year after the FBI discovered nude images of prisoners on his phone less than a year after he became the warden in November 2020. Source, Peter Sablandario, New York Daily News. 
And I'll just remind listeners again that sexual assault is the primary way women in this country experience state terror, particularly black women. Incarcerated women and girls across the nation routinely report being sexually harassed and assaulted by police officers and jailers. What is unique about this story, however, is there appears there may be consequences for the perpetrators. That is a rare outcome indeed. The suspect in a triple homicide in Southern California who died in a shootout with police Friday is believed to have driven across the country to meet a teenage girl before killing three members of her family. Austin Lee Edwards, 28, also likely set fire to the family's home in Riverside, California before leaving with the girl. Deputies from the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department killed Edwards after locating him with the teenager later that day. Edwards, 28, previously worked for the state police and a sheriff's department in Virginia, authorities in California said. I wonder if he had to take and also failed a mental health exam but was allowed to go to work as a cop anyway. Just saying. Edwards, a resident of North Chesterfield, Virginia, met the girl online and obtained her personal information by deceiving her with a false identity known as catfishing. The bodies in the home were identified as the girl's grandparents and mother's source, NBC Channel 10 News. The NBC affiliate, y'all, uh, failed to initially report that this was a former police officer. Thank you to the listeners on Twitter who brought this case to our attention. The state of Alabama is making a deal with Alan Eugene Miller, whom it tried and failed to execute earlier this year. The state has agreed not to execute Miller by lethal injection, and it agrees that, quote, any future effort to execute his sentence of death can only be done by means of nitrogen hypoxia, end quote. Miller was set to die by lethal injection on September 22nd, but his execution was called off just before midnight after officials with the Alabama Department of Corrections couldn't find veins to start the intravenous line needed for the fatal drugs. Miller claimed he was poked with needles for about 90 minutes before the lethal injection was called off and that he continues to cope with the emotional turmoil of the events that day. Miller's legal woes stemmed from his desire to die by nitrogen hypoxia, the newly approved but not yet tested method to murder people. He claimed in his federal lawsuit that he chose execution by nitrogen hypoxia instead of lethal injection when Alabama death row inmates could make that choice in 2018. Miller claims to have signed that form. The AG's office argued he had no proof of signing that form or making the change. The state has not developed a way to use the nitrogen hypoxia method, which the legislature approved several years ago. No state has ever used the method for capital punishment. Source, Ivana Harunku, Alabama.com. Former longtime Santa Clara County Sheriff Lori Smith was formally removed from office Tuesday as a result of guilty verdicts in her civil corruption trial from earlier this month, marking an end to nearly a half-century career with the agency, which had been marred by scandal in the last decade. The effect of San Mateo County Superior Court Judge Nancy Feynman's sentencing is largely symbolic since Smith resigned October 31st while a jury was in deliberations for the hybrid civil criminal trial. The verdict carried no punishment beyond removal from office. Smith resignation had been an apparent attempt to render the trial moot and avoid the stain of being found guilty of corruption, but the judge rejected the ex-sheriff's argument and jurors were allowed to finish their work. The judge voiced wariness of allowing defendants already accused of abusing their power to engineer their own resolutions and avoid court judgments. Smith, who was originally elected in 1998 as the state's first female sheriff, was on trial for accusations of corruption and willful misconduct filed by the county civil grand jury last year. The grand jury alleged that she illicitly steered concealed carry weapons to donors and supporters, committed perjury while undermining state gift reporting laws, and stifled a civilian auditor's probe into a high-profile jail injury case. 
Smith avoided prosecution after she invoked her Fifth Amendment rights from refusing to testify to a criminal grand jury. Source, Robert Salonga Mercury News. Oh, and by the by, y'all, she'll still get her pension. The city of Vallejo has agreed to pay $300,000 to local filmmaker and U.S. Marines veteran Adrian Burrell, who filed an excessive force lawsuit against the city after he was tackled by a Vallejo police officer while filming a, a traffic stop in 2019. The case made national headlines because of Vallejo police officer David McLaughlin's apparent attempt to prevent his actions from being recorded. Burrell's footage showed McLaughlin hold a motorcycle rider at gunpoint in the driveway of Burrell's home. By the by, y'all, David McLaughlin uh, is one of at least 11 officers in the police department who were part of a so-called badge of honor gang within the city's department. This is the Vallejo Police Department. He is also the defendant in a lawsuit stemming from him pulling his gun out on a man during an argument at a pizza shop. And a reminder that the Vallejo Police Department is one of the most murderous and brutal police departments in Northern California. Angel Ramos, Bruno Foster, Willie McCoy say their names. Adrian Burrell filmed the stop from the front porch of his home about 30 feet away. When McLaughlin saw him, he ordered him to stop filming and go inside. Burrell refused. McLaughlin holstered his weapon and approached Burrell. Burrell said in his lawsuit that McLaughlin smashed his face into a wall and swung him into a pole. McLaughlin applied the handcuffs so tight it broke the skin on Burrell's right hand and left his fingers numb. The department is currently mired in a scandal in which some members... At the department, uh, as I mentioned, their star-shaped badges bent following their involvement in a shooting. Source, John Glidden, the Vallejo son. And one last story on Vallejo. The city will attempt to get a police oversight model in place next month before three new Vallejo City Council members are seated. The city is tentatively scheduled to introduce an ordinance establishing an oversight model on December 15th. Final approval is set for December 20th. The Council received feedback from city officials and community members in August about which oversight model would work best to reform the beleaguered police department. Most of the council said they wished to hear more about a model presented from Common Ground, a nonpartisan group of religious and nonprofit organizations in Solano and Napa counties, which is advocating for a three-pronged approach, a, po a civilian police commission, inspector general, and community police review agency. Vallejo's proposed model is heavily influenced by the established oversight model in Oakland. Hopefully, y'all, their model won't be hamstrung by undue influence of the mayor's office like ours was. Common Ground further recommended that Vallejo residents serve on the commission tasked with overseeing a review agency, which would investigate officer use of force, including fatal shootings by officers, any in-custody deaths, and allegations of racial profiling by officers. An independent inspector general would ensure the police department is complying with its policies and policing practices. <laughs> Sorry. Common Ground's proposal is endorsed by Ashley and Michelle Monterosa, whose brother Sean Monterosa was murdered by Vallejo Police uh, Detective Jarrett Tan during the early morning hours of June 2nd, 2020. Tan has since been fired from the department, but is expected to appeal. Source, John Glidden, the Vallejo son. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of November 28, 2022. State Terror Roundup soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who's been a force in Bay Area's hip-hop and soul scene since the early 1990s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com, and her website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. Shout out to my producer, Jesse Strauss, who helped curate the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. 
That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.